Good morning. And a good Friday to you. The text that we've just heard is a dramatic setting. It's a dramatic day. It's a dramatic uh, time in the life of Jesus. And today is a good day because we're celebrating the death of Christ together. Now that may sound strange to you. Because after all, who wants to celebrate someone's death? These days, if you go to a funeral, usually they have renamed them Celebrations of Life. Have you been to one of those lately? And I think the reason we've renamed funerals a Celebration of Life is because as a society and as humanity, we are all scared of death. Deep down, if you're honest, most of us would admit that we're afraid to die. And usually the best place to overhear that fear is in our last words, in our final moments. People's last words usually provide a window into their heart, a rare opportunity to see their true colors. Listen to some familiar names of familiar people's last words. Steve Jobs, his last words were, oh wow, oh wow, oh wow. Bob Marley's last words were, money can't buy life. Amy Winehouse's last words were, I don't want to die. Beethoven's last words were, applaud my friends, the comedy is over. And John Belushi's last words were, just don't leave me alone. Why do we dread death? Well, death is no friend of mankind. Ever since sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden, death has been taunting us. It is, in fact, our last enemy. And I think we fear coming face to face with death because it stirs many more questions that remain unsettled in our psyches. Like these questions. Have I been pardoned? Will I be alone? Is God pleased with me? If those questions remain unsettled for you today, I want you to listen closely to Christ's last words. Ironically, his last words have soothed many consciences from the fear of death. At the cross, Christ's words touch us in our greatest vulnerability. And they give us a window into his heart. We see his true colors. So let's look back at verses 32 to 38. It'll be on the screen. And we're going to play pay close attention to verse 34, where Jesus prays for the forgiveness of the ignorant. So let's read from verses 32 to 38. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they, and when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, 
But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. Now I want you to use your imagination with me for a few moments. I want, to, I want you to picture the scene, the crucifixion in real time. And I want you to do that by putting yourself in this scene. Imagine that you're one of the criminals going to the cross next to Jesus. You're being executed for a life of crime. You're a rebel. Can you relate? Have you ever, have you ever been so struck with guilt for doing something wrong, you were caught red-handed and you knew there was a penalty coming? That's the mood of these criminals. They're being penalized for breaking the law. Imagine that you're one of them. You say, I can't imagine this. Uh, I haven't broken the laws of the land. But friend, I need to tell you that although you might not be known for committing crimes or breaking the laws of our land, I need you to keep imagining yourself in this scene for a moment. Because believe it or not, the laws that you've broken are greater. God communicates to us through the Bible. And it says we have all offended God personally. We've broken His laws. We've ignored His commands in our, in our private life, in our sex life, and in all parts of our life. And He doesn't lower His standard or grave, grade on a curve. What's your plan to escape His justice if you're guilty of the crime. What's your plan? You, my friend, need a pardon. You can't undo the life of crime. You can't go back in time. You need to be forgiven. But in this scene, your life is almost over. You're about to go on a cross, and so are the two others. Where in the world will you find forgiveness? Now, you can take yourself out of the scene for a moment. We've talked about this big word, forgiveness. What is forgiveness? Or being pardoned? It basically means canceling a debt. And in Christianity, we're concerned about forgiveness big time. We, we, we say you can actually have forgiveness with God. He is able to cancel the debt that you owe. But that forgiveness is costly. God says in the Bible, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. God cancels our debts only when blood is shed, and that is to say, through death. The bar of justice remains very high, and justice must be served in order for the debt to be canceled. And here's the good news. That is absolutely possible through the cross. But how, you say? Notice what Jesus prays in verse 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Notice what Jesus does not say. He does not say, I forgive you. 
he actually prays that God would forgive them. He's praying that God would cancel their debt. And on what basis would God cancel their debt? I think it's pretty clear. It's His own death on the cross. He's basically praying that God would apply His death to them. If these men, these men who know not what they do, these men who were killing the Messiah, crucifying Jesus, if they were going to be forgiven, it would only be because someone else paid for their sins. And that's exactly what was happening. We heard in the Scripture reading about Barabbas. Or Barabbas. Barabbas was a criminal. Just like these other men. And Barabbas was actually set free. And Jesus, the innocent one, was to go to the cross. That's a substitution. And the one who was guilty got let free because the one who was innocent went to the cross. That's good news. But these ignorant men were actually crucifying the Lord of glory, the one that was promised in the Hebrew Bible. God's plan of pardon, but this, don't miss it, this is no mistake. This is God's plan of pardon for us. God's plan of pardon is the death of an innocent man in the place of criminals, rebels, lawbreakers like us. And this plan, if embraced, satisfies His justice and cancels our debt. But it's only found in the person of Jesus Christ. In verse 41 and 47, the, the, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the innocent man. Forgiveness flows from Him alone. Pardon is found only in Him. But it is found in Him, friends. And that's really good news. He is the substitute for rebels, lawbreakers, criminals like me and like you. That's the good news. But maybe you say, well, how can I be sure that God will forgive me? In human relationships, sometimes you offend someone and you say, I'm sorry, I've wronged you. That person says, it's okay, all is forgiven. But deep down you know that that person is actually still holding a grudge with you. How do we know that God is not holding a grudge with us still? How do we know that this debt is canceled for sure? Well, God says what He means, and He means what He says in the Bible. And when He says He forgives us, as far as the east is from the west, you can bank on that. But how can you be sure that He's not holding a grudge? The answer is very simply by repenting, by turning from our sin to Jesus. By repenting and believing in Jesus. By putting all your hopes of forgiveness, not in trying harder and doing better, but in Jesus Christ Himself. He is the Savior and He is the judge of all mankind. And uh, I'm not going to try to 
hold back the rest of the story to you because you could read from Luke 24 the rest of the story and you know that Sunday is coming and Jesus does rise from the dead. And after Jesus rises from the dead, several moons later, in the book of Acts, the same author, Luke, says this, The time of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this, He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. Another verse in the book of Acts says, Let it be known to you therefore, brothers, that through this man, that is Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. The time of ignorance is over. Jesus is Lord. It's public knowledge now. Repent and believe in Him and receive a pardon freely. Are you sure you've been forgiven? Or is this question still hanging over your head? Do you see the beauty of Christ? Don't you see that it cost Him His life to give you forgiveness and pardon? Have you come to Him? He won't turn you away if you do. If you're visiting today, maybe this Jesus talk is overwhelming. And uh, I'd like to say welcome, and we're very glad you came. Thank you for coming. It's okay to not be okay here. If you know you haven't trusted in Jesus, and you are still unsure whether you're pardoned, I'm very happy to talk to you. Or just tell the person next to you, um, you're not okay, and if we can listen to you and we can pray with you, we will do that. But please continue to come to church if you still want to learn more about Jesus and you still want to learn more about being pardoned. You can't possibly understand all that there is to know about Christianity by coming once in a while to hear a talk. There's so much more to Christianity, but it's worth exploring. So please come often. Get to know us. We're not perfect people. Tell us if you need help. We'll try to help you. Get to know the church. We're certainly not perfect, but we have been pardoned, and Jesus has changed our life. Now to the comforting promise of paradise with Christ in verse 43. Earlier, I asked you to identify with the criminals. And I tried to tell you that all of us have broken God's laws, and all of us are criminals. But now I want you to put yourself back into the story. But this time, I want to ask you to do something very daring. I want you to pick a side. Which side are you on? There are two criminals in this scene, one on each side of Jesus. They're about to suffer the justice that they deserve to be punished for. Their doom is coming. Their day is near. Which one do you relate to most? Let's name them. There's... Reluctant and repentant. In this paragraph, their last words reveal what they think of Jesus at, his, at their death. One teases him, and the other trusts in him. They both leave this world, but their conclusions about Jesus were different. 
In verse 39, we see one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. That man sided with the majority around the cross. It is my daughter who's screaming right now. (laughs) Oh, Violet, please. (laughs) Let me preach. All right. Um, One of these men sided with the majority around the cross. And he didn't see Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, the only way to heaven. The other criminal chose the path less taken against the popular culture, and he, in his final moments, met his Savior. Listen to what happens in his life in verses 40 to 42. After the one man mocks, the other criminal says this, but to the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. In February, me and my family went to Florida with my dad and stepmom. It was a beautiful week, a trip of a lifetime. No rain, all sun. We enjoyed every minute of it. It was a wonderful trip. I remember feeling and actually seeing on many, many occasions, this is paradise, isn't it? But each morning when we turned on the news to look at the weather and to watch the news, I was reminded that it was not paradise. Each morning, I'd hear about murders, natural disasters, and tragedy. Paradise, I assure you, won't be like that. So while the sunshine of Florida gave me a glimpse of paradise, at the same time, It was creating a longing in me for more. I know paradise will be better than this. And I was yearning for it. Do you yearn for paradise? Do you yearn for a day when you can rest from the struggles of this life? Do you desire paradise? Did you know that God made you with that desire and only He can satisfy it? And for everyone who turns to Jesus, who acknowledges Him, He will satisfy that. He will satisfy that desire for paradise. But here's the thing. It's on the other side of death. There's a famous author named C.S. Lewis who wrote a book, a series of books, children's books, named The Chronicles of Narnia. His last book was called The Last Battle. And in the final chapter of that book, Aslan, the lion, who represents Christ in the story, tells the kids that they have died. Now listen to his perspective on death and paradise and see if you can catch the beauty in it. This is from the last paragraph in the last chapter of that book called Farewell to the Shadowlands. That's what the chapter's called. Listen to this. There was a real railway accident, said Aslan softly. 
your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, but the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, for them it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever and ever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. <laughs> Don't you see, we were created to enjoy that paradise. Do you want that? Everyone who comes to Jesus will actually live happily ever after with Him in that paradise. The thief on the cross gives us an example of a man who got Christ and paradise at death's door. It is not too late. If you follow his pattern by admitting your guilt, Christ and paradise is yours. Pardon is yours. His loneliness, his fear of being alone will be absorbed by eternal and forever happiness. We all want it. We don't all find it. Because it only comes through turning to Christ. Have you turned to Christ? Let's now look at the final moment on the cross where Jesus is trusting the Father. Verse 44 to 49. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. What's happening in this scene? Christ was committed to God from the start of his life to the finish. He trusted God to his final breath. He finished the race of faith and didn't fail once. His is the perfect life. And the Father is pleased with Him. And everyone who trusts in His perfect life is connected to Him. Maybe you've heard of the expression behind every good man is a great woman. And friends, behind every pardoned person 
is a great Savior. We're riding on the coattails of Jesus and His perfect life. If we are in Christ, if we have trusted in Him, God accepts us. He's pleased. Verse 46 is the climax of our text. Listen to it again. Father, into Your hands I commit my spirit. For all the failures, for all the lies, for all the sins, for all the laws that we've broken against God, those of us who trust in Jesus come behind and God is pleased. He accepts us because Christ finished the race perfectly. When I was growing up, uh, Saturday was our cleaning day at our home. You could guarantee that on Saturday, the Wallaces would be cleaning their house. <laughs> we'd be blasting our music, and we'd spend hours listening to, now don't judge me, R.E.M., Eric Clapton, Michael Bolton, and my favorite, Phil Collins. <laughs> Represent. Um, I memorized many of those songs over the years. But the greatest song I've ever heard is Phil Collins in the air tonight. In that song, that epic song, that song that is larger than life, which is wildly unique. If you know the song, you know for about the first three and a half or three minutes and 45 seconds, I timed it, um, the whole song is leading up to the crescendo, right? And at about three minutes and 45 seconds, my mom's here who used to be a drummer. You hear the, the sound, the crescendo, right? And then you hear Phil Collins singing, and I'll spare you that. But he says, I can feel it coming in the air tonight. But I've been waiting for this moment for all my life. And it's a crescendo. And many people are aroused to actually just drum when they hear that and start singing along. Well, friends, verse 46 is the crescendo of human history. I know Phil Collins didn't write this song about Jesus, but it sure does echo the cross. At the time that Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, we are watching and overhearing the crescendo of human history. The moment we've all been waiting for. The moment Jesus was waiting for. The history of the world was leading up to that moment. This is no mistake. The death of Jesus is actually what history was moving towards. You recall maybe when the promise of a seed or a, someone who would crush the serpent's head in Genesis 3.15, that's what's happening here. The promise in the Garden of Eden would be fulfilled in this moment. What's happening? God said in Genesis 3.15 that He would send offspring from a woman who would bruise the serpent's head. Satan's head. Though the serpent would bruise his heel. Here is the moment we've all been waiting for. The offspring of Mary. The seed of who came to save His people from their sins, He has finished and accomplished His mission. 
in His death, He is crushing the power of Satan who has the power of death. Friends, the cross, sitting under it, thinking of it, is the place and the time to celebrate. But it's strange to say that word, celebrating someone's death. I mean, is Good Friday really a good day? Well, that depends. Have you been pardoned? Have your sins been forgiven? Have you turned to Jesus? It's a good day for those of us who have. For us Christians, His death is our pardon. Remembering His death is a true celebration of life. We come around, we celebrate at the Lord's table, which we'll do in a few minutes, and we thank Him for the freedom He won for us. Now, in the cross, in the death of Christ, we can rest from the nagging questions that the fear of death provoked. Those questions were, have I been pardoned? Will I be alone? Is God pleased? Will He accept me? All who are trusting in Jesus have the promise of pardon. He will never forsake us. That is His promise. And God is pleased with us who are in His Son. There's a preacher, one of my favorites of uh, another generation. His name was Charles Spurgeon. And he really liked to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And that's what we're going to do in a few minutes for those of you that are Christians. And he said that, Celebrating or commemorating the death of Christ is not a funeral. It is a festival. <laughs> good Friday is a good day to be a Christian. And it's a good day to become one as well. He died to provide you pardon. And to free you from the fear of death. He put death to death by His death and it couldn't hold Him down. Three days later, he rose from the dead. Do you fear death? If you come to Christ, he won't turn you away. He'll save you. He'll rescue you from that fear of death. Even if you call on him today. Don't live in fear of death any longer, friend. It's the last enemy that Christ would put to death. Listen to a book called uh, the book of Hebrews, and I'm just going to read two verses from it. It says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, that is Jesus, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Don't remain in a place of the fear of death, friends. There is a way out, and it's in Jesus. If you need some time to think about these things and you want to hear more, please join us this Sunday as Pastor Matt will be preaching on death, the last enemy to be destroyed. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, this is a day that we thank you for. You love the world so much that you sent your Son to be the Savior of the world so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have 
everlasting life in paradise with you. I pray, Lord, that you would bring these truths home to each heart here by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.